Hey everyone, this is David Kern here. Just wanted to say a quick word from our friends over at Escondido Tutorial Service. Our culture needs more fine minds who have an understanding of the great ideas of Western civilization. The dying art of civil discourse is one that needs much practice and finesse, and your junior and high school students can hone this art through studying with 25-year veteran, great books tutor Fritz Heinrichs. His five-year survey of the great books of the Western world includes works by Homer, Plato, Augustine, Calvin, Shakespeare, Dante, Chaucer, Dostoevsky, Kant, Freud, Marx, and C.S. Lewis. Each week, students meet for a two-hour session discussing the reading and learning to dialogue with one another. They're required to write papers several times a semester as well. The opportunity for two free years of classical Greek is offered to students enrolled in great books two and three, while free Shakespeare accompanies year four. Fifth-year students write two 3,600-word papers and present them online, answering questions from Mr. Heinrichs and the assembled fellow students. Those interested can join a four-day gathering each June full of debate, readers' theater, singing, dancing, and fantastic fellowship. Guided by the joyful wisdom of Mr. Heinrichs and the great books, join a conversation full of truth, justice, love, and beauty. To find more how you can join the great conversation, please visit the Escondido Tutorial Service website today at gbt.org. Again, that is gbt.org. Welcome to Libromania, a podcast for the book obsessed from the Close Reads Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, and each week I'm chatting with authors, biographers, designers, collectors, critics, and other people who help make books so worthy of our attention. This is chapter 18, in which I chat with author Callie Fine about her experiences teaching Shakespeare and the book that came out of those experiences. There was a line in the booklet that I used that said, don't worry about students getting it all at once, because none of us ever will. The, the point is to present it in such a way that they'll want to return to the story. And that just, that just was enough for me. Was that, okay, I don't have to, we don't have to get this whole story. The idea is for them to hopefully look at it again, return to it again. Callie Fine is a writer and teacher living in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She's a contributor for Coffee and Crumbs and TS Poetry Press, and her writing has been featured on Art House America, Tweet Speak Poetry, Good Letters, Alter Work, Relief Journal, and Off the Page. And she's the author of two books, Twirl, My Life with Stories, Writing and Clothes, and The Teacher Diaries, Romeo and Juliet. And it's this last book that I wanted to talk to her about because it's all about teaching Shakespeare. But not in the sense that it gives, I don't know, 15 tips for helping students understand Elizabethan language or say 11 facts about the life of Shakespeare that will help you understand why Romeo fell in love with Juliet, or whatever. It's about her journey as a Shakespeare teacher. As much a literary memoir as anything else, the book tracks Callie's personal journey as she looks to help her students fall in love with Shakespeare. She's interested in helping them have a lifelong appreciation for the bard, not just the ability to pass a test about him. And yeah, the book includes some of her tactics for doing that, but it's not a pedagogical handbook. It's the story of how her students learned to love something that seemed so foreign to them at first, and how that changed her along the way. So, I wanted to chat with her about that experience. We discussed the book, her work in classrooms with students who didn't seem capable of reading Shakespeare at first, the greatness of libraries, and as usual, much, much more. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Callie Fine. Well, first of all, thank you for thank you for being here. It's it's a pleasure to talk to you and spend some time talking about, among other things, teaching Shakespeare. Because yeah. <laughs> because I first heard about you from John Wilson, the former editor of Books and Culture, and we were having yeah. a discussion about the best books or his favorite books. Anyway, I don't you know, I necessarily want to say they're only the best books because there's lots sure, of sure. great books that we didn't cover. But he was mentioning um, some of his favorite books of the last year of, of 2018, and he mentioned that he had read The Teacher Diaries, your book about teaching Romeo and Juliet. And yeah. so I thought, man, I got I to gotta, gotta talk to her as a <laughs> fellow high school English teacher. Oh, and, really? Okay. Yeah, so so I, you know, I went and read the book and it definitely... I can't, I, don't, I can't decide if it was inspiring or if it gave me PTSD, but yeah. maybe a little, maybe a little oh, bit yeah. of both. But, I know. So <laughs> me too. <laughs> where did, yeah, I'm sure the, action, the act of writing it was probably a little, um, <laughs> little PTSD-inducing, but also a little therapeutic. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm curious, did, um, did you know coming out of college that you wanted to teach Shakespeare to high school students? Or is that something you came to you know, 
like you were forced into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I knew, I knew coming out of college, I wanted to teach stories that okay. that was, I had been captured. I went to Calvin um, and I knew that, that anybody could get me to learn anything if they presented it in a story. Hmm. And there was something about that. I probably couldn't articulate that at, in 1998, but um, yeah. that's, that's when that I, I knew I wanted to, to teach stories and I wanted to pull stories out of students. Hmm. Um, so Romeo and Juliet, uh, Shakespeare, I, I, I was a terrible student. And so I didn't really think I would have been capable of, of reading Shakespeare or any, or let alone teaching it. Um, so I, it was, I don't know if I'd say I was forced into it, but it was part of the curriculum and I put it off <laughs> as long <laughs> as I could Yeah, um, yeah. until I found, uh, I, an, another colleague of mine at the school that I was teaching Shakespeare at, um, suggested I use this, um, curriculum from the Folger theater mm, and, yeah. uh, they present it teaching Shakespeare as more, well, play. And that, uh, I think there was a line in the, in the booklet that I used that said, don't worry about students getting it all at once. Cause we're, mm. none of us ever will. The, the point is to present it in such a way that they'll want to return to the mm. story. And that just, that just was enough for me. Was that, okay, I don't have to, we don't have to get this whole story. The idea is for them to hopefully look at it again, return to it again. Um, and so that's what, that's where I came. That's, that was the attitude that I wanted. And it helped me be a lot more creative and take a little bit more risks and um, yeah, yeah. also not worry so much about what the outcome was going to be. Yeah. It's such a, a, I think, freeing distinction that as, mm -hmm. as literature teachers or maybe in particular literature teachers, I don't necessarily know about the other disciplines, but mm -hmm. you know, there it's freeing to think about the idea that when we're teaching a book, our goal is not necessarily to make sure our students get it completely. Right. In some ways, it's about, well, certainly about teaching them to be better readers, inspiring sure. reading habits, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully inspiring them to be lifelong students, showing them what it looks like to ask questions, things like that. Like those are just as important as them. Well, they might be more important. I think they probably are than yeah. getting them to just fill their head with a quote unquote you know, understanding of, right. of a work of literature because we don't even understand. I mean, we no. might <laughs> we might understand parts of it, but we're never going to understand it completely mm -hmm. to varying degrees, I suppose. But did you find that once that once that distinction sort of occurred to you or became part of your teaching life, mm -hmm. that it changed your relationships with your students and not just your relationship with the book? Oh yeah, um, I mean it. it it absolutely. I mean, it, actually, you know, I taught that that same year. I taught To Kill a Mockingbird, which is my favorite mm. book. Um, mm. And I mean, I named my children after <laughs> after people in the in the book. And I thought for sure that was going to be my. Did you name your child Scout? No, I named, <laughs> well, I named one Harper, and my other girl is named Hadley, and I wanted to name her Radley, but my uh, husband said, "That's you're taking it way too far." And I think she well, was, he was he was afraid she was going to be named Boo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have uh, um, I have children named after characters and favorite books too. One of my kids is named Jeremiah, and we call oh. him Jem. So oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. carry on, carry on. Sorry. Well, anyway, so I, I thought for sure that was going to be the book um, that was just gonna, that was going to do it for, yeah. for me and my students. And it turned yeah. out it was Romeo and Juliet. And huh. um, I think part of it was uh, um, I decided that uh, a lot of, a lot of what we were going to do was find other stories that followed this same arc. And um, we found Eleanor hmm. and Park uh, uh, the Wednesday Wars by Gary Schmidt. Um, there was, there was just a, and, and what we found was that there's always more going on than what meets the eye. And so we looked a lot about what, what love does, especially what it does in for 12, 13 and 14 year olds, especially mm -hmm. since they were the characters in the book, the main characters. And, uh, we talked a lot about, um, you know, the definition of love and whether or not, you know, were they really in love? And I think we decided, you know what, it doesn't really matter because they mm. felt something and it did something to them. So, and I, and I think that helped students feel like whatever they're going through 
um, was important and it mattered and they needed to muddle through it despite whether other people were saying, you know, this is, this is stupid. You're just in middle school. You can't really feel this way or whatever it is. And so I think, I think that story helped them with their own stories. Not that, um, you know, the outcome was, was awful in Romeo and Juliet, but I think it at least helped them own up to what, what it is they were going through. And it's such a confusing time. And, and I was thankful for those characters, um, for them to be what, able to... What grade was it? You said middle school? It was eighth grade. Yeah, okay. we, we yeah. did it in eighth grade. I know a lot of people read it in ninth grade, yeah. um, but for some reason, the school that um, I was teaching in did it in eighth grade. Hmm. Are you still teaching at the same school? No, that was a school right outside of Washington, D.C. Hmm. And now I am, my title is at-risk literacy specialist and I teach, um, I'm in, I work in libraries, uh, two libraries in, in the Ypsilanti, Michigan schools. Hmm. And so one, one is a pre-K through first grade and um, the other one is a K through fifth grade school. Okay. And I, I basically read stories and help students check out stories and all hmm. that kind of stuff. Hmm. <laughs> well, so I want to talk to you about that, that yeah. the idea of stories with at-risk students or mm. at-risk uh, ch- children. But mm. let's, let's hold off on that for a few minutes because I want sure. to keep talking about this. So, so you end up writing this, this book, The Teacher Diaries, and mm-hmm. part of the Teacher Diaries series. So ostensibly, you're going to write... Are you going to write about more Shakespeare plays? Is that the idea? But your The kid- idea... Well, so what happened was I was supposed to be writing another book, um, and which ended up being Twirl, which is the one that came out in February. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'd, uh, my family, we'd, we'd made a move to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and um, I thought I wanted to continue teaching. And I'd already had this book contract for what is now Twirl. I didn't know that's what it was going to be. It was due um, at the end of the year of uh, 2016, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd taken a job in Detroit teaching sixth grade English and uh, loved the kids, uh, loved the topics that I was teaching. But um, the school was, was, it was, I, it was just a hard school to, to be in. I, um, my philosophy, I think, of teaching uh, this idea of stories as exploration, um, as not needing to know the answer right away um, didn't line up with what the school's um, philosophy, I think, was. Uh, but at the time, I think with the move and and the school, I was just going through a really hard time. And my editor, who is a lovely person and very caring, told me, everything you're turning in is just falling flat and you need to take a break. And so that was devastating for me. And I ended up leaving the job mid-year, which um, was was difficult for me. It's even difficult for me to uh, now to admit that that's what I did, but I did it. Um, and she said, "Why don't you write about Romeo and Juliet when you were teaching it to the eighth graders the year before?" And I told her I did not want to do that. It was going to be way too painful uh, because it was it was going to be me uh, writing about what I wanted to. To teach, you know how I wanted to teach, and and it was going to be too too painful. But she painful why? Um, because I didn't have that anymore. You know, I didn't. I I didn't. Uh, it, like drawing it, it out of yourself would have been just a painful process. I think so. I think remembering yeah. how it used to be was going to be, or what I'd lost, or oh, um, because it was such a good experience. It was such a great yeah. experience, okay, I and yeah. um, I wanted to, and I and I still wanted to do it. But I didn't think, and I still am unsure that I fit into education as it is presented, at least in Michigan, um, to today. I'm not sure that, you know, I fit in with the standardized testing model and, and, things like that. Hmm. So, so, you know, it was just a real heartbreak. It was a real, I, I, I tell, I tell people it's just a real bad breakup. It's been a bad breakup. <laughs> so I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it, but, um, she kept asking, um, in her gentle, persistent way. And so one day I decided I, I came up with this story. Um, you know, I remembered my first kiss and I thought, okay, you know what, this is what I'm going to write about. And she's never going to take it. Cause I thought I was being belligerent <laughs> and snarky and, uh, and she wrote back, um, a couple of days later and said, Callie's back. This is what I want. This is, this is the Callie I'm looking for. Mm. And she said, how much, how much of, of this could you write? Cause I thought it was just going to be an essay. We were going to do like a blog series or something. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I said, well, I, I could just go through my lesson plans and, and probably come up with 2025 of, of these same things. And she said, all right, let's make an outline. And then she said, what else would you want to do? And I said, well, I could, I could do The Hobbit. I could do To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. She said, all right, let's make this book series. <laughs> so <laughs> she drew up a contract and um, I, I, this was my first book. So I uh, sent it to her, um, you know, kind of a chapter at a time. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's how it, that's how it came to be. So, and it was, it was very therapeutic. Um, it at least made me articulate what I love about teaching and what I believe about teaching stories. So, mm-hmm. so that was, um, I'm thankful for that. So you say it, it helps you articulate what you love about teaching and about stories, but then you also say that in, in many ways you don't feel like you fit in with you know, sort of contemporary education standards or practices. And you yeah. kind of, you said it in some ways it feels like a bad breakup between you. And I, I took you to mean between you and that sort of education. Is that, was that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, um, so can you, yeah. how do those, so how do those two things relate to each other? Because you said it helped you understand what you love about teaching, but then also you're having this breakup with the way contemporary teaching typically works. So right. what right. is it that you love about teaching that doesn't fit with the way most teaching happens now? Well, um, what I, what I saw and, and I guess what I see in teaching is a lot of, I just, I guess I, I guess I feel like there's a lot of fear in teaching now, you know, we okay. have to it's anxiety have, driven, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have to yeah. make sure that these outcomes, and I understand why I mean, we, the literacy rates are very low. Um, and we yeah. got to do something about that. Uh, mm-hmm. but I, I, I want to do it through a story that children love, um, and, and I want to help them with, I want to help them draw that out of themselves. I want them to take stories and be able to, um, read them because they're excited about reading them, not because they have to read them. Uh, and, and, and I just, I'm just not sure I, I can give what it takes to, to do that in a classical or maybe not classical, but, um, maybe public education environment. It's, it's, um, there's just so much that needs to be done. And I'm just not sure I have the skills as a mother now. And I also want to write to do all of that. It's all encompassing. And I think that was where, where the heartache came, where I was at the other school. Um, it was a part-time situation. I had a lot of time to do deep work. I could change the unit depending on how the class was going, there was time to do that. Whereas in the school that I was at um, before and, and kind of in the school that I'm in now, there's, there's no time to do any of that. And I miss being able to do some, some real deep, deep thinking, um, especially as catering it to, to students because some classes are going to not be able to read William Shakespeare or Harper Lee or, anything the mm-hmm. same way another another class is going to. Um, yeah. I had one class that was really, really rowdy um, and they were so different from the other from the other class that I taught. And so I remember thinking these lessons are not going to be, they're just not going to resonate with these with these students. And so um, I think the Folger um, the Folger's uh, curriculum had something on them redoing the play, re- making rewriting the play. Um, the first class was able to do that and present it. And I thought the second class, I'm just not sure. So what I told them to do was to rewrite a story in Shakespeare language, do a whole prompt book out of it, um, come up with costumes, come up with stage directions, all that stuff. So I had kids do Star Wars. Um, they had what was a Napoleon Dynamite? They rewrote a scene from Napoleon Dynamite, <laughs> but it was all in iambic pentameter. It was all, and they had costumes. <laughs> That's hard. Everything. It was a ride. Yeah, I know. I was like, go for it. I don't know how you're going to do it, but yeah. but you know, they 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 did it, and and that was. I, that's the kind of, that's the kind of way that I want to teach. I want to take a story and, and sort of fit it for, um, that particular student. I want them to be able to, I'll do anything to get a kid to, to, um, resonate with the story. (laughs) So you you talk about this idea that, you know, there's, there's, because of the standards that schools Mm -hmm. have put in place and the curriculum Mm -hmm. and the requirements and all the things that you have to kind of teach towards. It makes it mm-hmm. hard to to 
to sort of customize your teaching to individual kids or individual classes. So did, mm-hmm. is that what led into your work, your your desire to work with, you know, at risk with at risk students and and the ability to sort of um customize what you're doing with them towards what that specific student needs or their specific situation? Yeah. Well, when, when, um, so when I left this other job, um, I decided I was kind of, I kept my resume in this consortium and I, and I found this, this one job and it's, my job is through a grant. And so the way that they wrote it was I would work and maintain the libraries, but Hmm. I would also, um, help students that needed help with things like sight words or, you know, what, whatever it was that they needed. Hmm. Um, and so part of, so I'm kind of part-time I do, I run the library and then I, um, help groups of, you know, anywhere between one and four students. Um, and what I liked about the idea of this job was that I got to work in a library. I really wanted to, I thought that this would be a great place to present stories, to do, um, Hmm. to, to think of stories as play, um, and that that's why I applied for the job was because I, I really wanted to work in a library. <laughs> um, yeah. the, the at-risk part is not as, um, well, it's not as fun for me. Um, it's, it's hard work, not because I can't do it. I, I, you know, I'm sitting next to a child that it, you see is physically um, sweating, <laughs> getting yeah. these words out. And, and that, yeah. that's, um, it's humbling. It's good. It's good work to do. It's just, um, I like to be able to do, I like to be able to do the story part of it and not so much the, the phonics and, and that sort of thing. Mm. I'll do it yeah. and I'm happy yeah, yeah. to do it, but, um, yeah. I like the story stuff. Of course, there, it's an, there's an intimacy that happens too. I, I was working with one student and she was reading through a story and, um, she said, uh, was stumbling upon a word and, and she sounded it out. And then she looked at me and she said, Mrs. Fine, I only sound out words around people that I trust. And I thought, well, this is, this is quite an honor (laughs) to be part of that. Um, but it's, it's, it's also the, the way that the, the, the school is set up. Um, you know, the fact that I'm in two schools, I feel like I could be much better if I were in one school. I think the impact would be, um, a lot, Hmm. um, a lot stronger, but that's just um, the money's not going to libraries, and and so um, mm. you know they don't have media specialists. They just kind of have these at risk literacy specialists mm. instead, and and we kind of are a jack of all trades, which is fine. But um, you know, I just think I'd, I'd like to get into something a little more deeper. I think. Yeah. So this is a podcast that we kind of say is for people who are obsessed with books, for the book obsessed. You know. Yeah. And- and I think you and I obviously share that. So, <laughs> you know, when you're working with these kids who who say things like, you know, I only sound out words for people who I trust or, you know, yeah. whatever she said. How do you how do you pass on that that enthusiasm, that kind of obsession with books? How do you show and prove the value of the books that you love so much to kids who don't have that as a part of their life or haven't learned to value that or um, it wouldn't even occur to them, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure you're dealing with kids of all different, you know, maybe kids who, you know, ESL kids or, mm-hmm. or kids from all kinds of different um, walks of life and, and um, yeah. you know, different um, social levels or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, different ethnicities, all kinds of different situations. So, mm-hmm. so if, do you have to, do you have to do that primarily by you know, like really building that relationship or there's some principles that you kind of, you can kind of use no matter where that kid comes from to help, yeah. pass, on, help pass on that enthusiasm, help them understand that. So yeah. long, long-winded question. No, that's okay. I, I think, I, I think my, my, my only tool is the story. I will read the story. I will get to know the story. I will um, present the story as enthusiastically as I can, no matter if it's something like a mother goose rhyme or it's, it's poetry or a chapter book, or I mean, because students love anything. We were doing these intricate mother goose dances and, and beats. And, and I thought there's, (laughs) I would never be interested in this song except these kids just make it so lively. And, you know, we learn rhyming words through it. We learn sight words through it. And, 
you know, they take that away along with a little dance routine. Um, one thing that I do, especially with second, third, fourth graders and, and the fifth graders too, is I find the books that have, that are poems, but they follow an arc. So um, Sharon Creech's Love That Dog, or um, I think it's Karen Hess's Out of the Dust, Kwame Alexander's, um, he's got the best of the crossover book. He's got several books that are in prose, but um, they have all this white space on the page and, but it's a story. And so I'll present these, these books to kids and I'll read them from a little bit, but I'll always say, you know, I was a terrible student. I did not like to read when I was a kid, partially because nobody ever read. I mean, my parents read to me, but no, the teachers, once I tested into the lower classes, I would get worksheets and there was, those were, there's nothing more boring than doing, than doing a worksheet. And so I was literally told I can't read those chapter books. I can't, you know, when, when all the, the other kids were in these academically advanced classes and they were putting on plays and making posters and doing book clubs. And I was not doing that. So that's probably part of the reason why I don't like to teach to standards is because it's a, it's, you know, it's a memory for me that I don't like to revisit. Um, but, um, so I would say, you know, I wish these books were around or I knew about these books because, Mm. you know, you think, you think there's not that many words on the page, but the characters are strong. It's funny. The dialogue is great. And before you know it, you've read a book. And when I present Mm. books like that, there's, there, there's never enough copies. I mean, there's the waiting list for those kinds of books are, you know, 10, 15, 20 kids long. And so um, that's one way that I do. And, and I just read a ton uh, and I read for children. So I do read a lot of young adult and children's books because I want to be ready to hand a story to a particular student at a particular time. Hmm. Where did your, I mean, did your love of books get passed on by someone like you working with Young you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, both my parents um, are huge readers. Um, and so they, you know, they read to me all the time. I lived next door to a library. And mm. I think one of the things <laughs> about that place was I would go in there and it wasn't necessarily to check out a book, but I loved hanging out with the librarians and I loved the organization of the library. (laughs) And I actually write about um, a couple of librarians in my other book and how, um, you know, the impact that they had on me. They, um, you know, they let me check the books out for patrons and they taught me how to shelve books. And I I loved the order of that. Um, And then when I got my license, my, uh, if I wanted to drive the car, I needed to put gas in it. And, um, my mom who worked in a library in, in Oak Park, she got me a shelving job at one of the other branches and I did not want to work there. I, you know, I wanted to work at the gap or something, somewhere cool <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. And she, but she got, um, she got me, um, the shelving job and I was allowed to wear my Walkman <laughs> while I shelved books. And what happened was I started reading the spot, you know, the, the backs of the books. And I remember the princess bride was one of the first books that I brought home, um, because I loved the movie. And I remember waving it around in my, in my kitchen saying, did you guys know this was a book? And I just devoured <laughs> it. I just, I just loved it so much. So I came to reading late, um, but no one ever forced it on me. And I think probably the the biggest mistake that was made was that I was told I couldn't handle those books. You know, I wasn't, I needed to do these worksheets first in order to understand a story. And I think I already had an understanding of it, of it excuse me, but I didn't, um, you know, they, they wouldn't let me read the Judy Bloom and, and Beverly Clary and all that. I had to go, I had to go out and do that myself. So thank goodness there was a library next door where I could, <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> so, um, you know, you're in your bio, it says you, you know, even MFA from Seattle Pacific university. Did you, Yeah. so how did you end up there? How, so take me through your, I mean, briefly through your kind of your journey and your love of with books because you had, obviously you ended up making a career out of it, but somewhere yeah. along the way it led to Seattle Pacific, which has that great MFA program. Mm-hmm. Well, so this is probably all to my dad, but um, he, he would, uh, let's see, how did it start? He, I mean, I've known about Image Magazine 
since it probably started because it's always been on, you know, our coffee tables, dog-eared, underlined. And so I remember, I think, I don't remember reading it much except um, beginning on September 11th, there was a, there was a piece of art on the cover of the, of the towers. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember thinking, I have so many questions about what is happening with our world. And I went right to that. This was before I was a mother. And I remember reading, um, well, I think their tagline is, um, you know, they have the word mystery in it. And I remember thinking, reading an essay about September 11th and thinking, this is definitely a mystery, but there's a lot, there's a lot of peace in the articulation of this mystery of this horror that's happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I wanted more. And so I started reading that. I started reading books and culture. That was the other thing that was always on um, our, in our living room coffee table was books and culture and image. Um, and my, my dad um, eventually started sending me books from the books and culture and image. So Lauren Winner, I read Girl Meets God. Um, and oh gosh, I, I just, I think the other one I had was... Um, God with us, which is a devotional. And I think they have a Lent one too. Anyway, I, anything that he sent me, I would read. And then he started calling these people, my friends. I've, I've got a new book for, from your friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I started this blog after my um, children were born. And I, I told myself it was a way of um, just sharing pictures with the grandparents. But really what it was is I wanted to tell a story about motherhood because it was just all encompassing. I needed to somehow gather my thoughts. And this was a way of me um, creating from, from, from motherhood. And, um, and so I think I was, I, not I think, I was practicing my voice. I was finding my voice. And so the pictures became really fun places for me to tell a story. I was practicing dialogue. Um, I was practicing scene instead of setting. Um, And and then eventually I was reading a post on good letters. I think they were, they were promoting creative nonfiction. I'd never heard of it. And, and um, Lindsay Crittenden um, was teaching a course through that. And I didn't have to apply to grad school in order to take this course. And so it was right before Christmas, I think, that I told my dad, this, this, this creative nonfiction, this is what I want to do. And so for Christmas, he gave me that, that course. And it was like finding a friend. <laughs> I never, I never heard of creative nonfiction. I didn't know what it was, but that's basically what I was writing towards. Yeah. And so in frantic email one night I emailed Lindsay and said, I know this course is ending, but I don't want it to end. What can, what can I do? I want to do what you're doing. And so, um, she said, well, you can, you know, you can think about applying for grad school. My dad had been giving me a brochure for, um, Seattle Pacific university for years saying that I should apply. And I thought, no, I don't want to do that. Um, I'm not that great of a student. Um, you know, I don't want to go back to school. Uh, so, Anyway, I did, but Seattle Pacific University was the only grad school that I applied to. It was the only one that I was interested in going to, uh, particularly because I wanted to work with Paula Huston and Lauren Winner and Jean Murray Walker. Yeah. I wanted to work with yeah, her yeah. too. Um, yeah. And I wanted to figure out more about this whole faith and art business. Um, I, I liked that. I think they... They said that we did have to write a testimony for you know uh, what you know what our testimony was, but they said that almost like they were hoping that we were grappling with something. You know, you, you hmm. we want to see that you're we want to see the mystery in your face, and I really liked that a lot. I really liked that they were okay with somebody who who had doubts, who doubted, um, who and who you know I like that word grappled, who grappled with their yeah. faith. So. Yeah, yeah, people who didn't feel like they have the answers to everything. Yes, that's that's what I wanted. I was looking for somebody who who was okay with not with not answering a question and and telling more stories. And and I really learned about good writing. And I also wanted to be a good reader. I wanted to be a better reader. I wanted to read those things. Um, I you know I love young adult literature, but that's sort of my go to. I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to read Walker Percy and Flannery O'Connor and and all those greats. Hmm. So did you have your girls at this point? 
I did. And I, <laughs> I felt horrible about that because, um, actually for, <laughs> for, for our anniversary, our 10th anniversary, my husband bought me, uh, another, uh, a course, um, in Bethesda, Maryland, which was about 20 minutes away from where we lived. And it was, I was, I think the course was called writing motherhood and it was mm-hmm. 10 o'clock on a Tuesday. And I said, I can't do this. You know, I'm, I'm a mom. I can't, I gotta stay home with them. And he told me, um, and I say this all the time um, because it was it was it turned everything around for me. He said you're you're always a mother. You're not only a mother. And um, from there, I I took off. And so um, I I took that course. I just took as many courses as I could. I tried to. I, I came up with a writers group that we met once. Um, once a month, and we read each other's work and held each other accountable. Um, I did anything I could to to learn. And then I, um, and then I went to grad school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So did you, so you so see you're a mom and you're going to, you're taking this MFA, going to this MFA program at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, I know the Seattle Pacific MFA is a low res program. So you're, you know, you're going, you're not, you're able to go to these retreats a couple of times a year. Yeah. But yeah. Did you find that, um, being a mom while doing these this study was that did you find a, that there was dissonance in that or did you find that it was somehow um, enlightening your work and maybe the work was enlightening your mothering at the same time? Yeah, that that was um, I I do have to say I, I felt a little ashamed. Um, I I wasn't the only mother in mm-hmm. in the group, but I was the oldest person <laughs> in the group at the time. I think, I think, um, it was a real low point when I realized I was older than Lauren Winner. <laughs> I thought, oh man, I should have figured all this out before I had it. Um, and, but I did have, um, I did have a really good friend, um, Jill Reed, who is a wonderful poet and a professor in a Louisiana school. Um, and we talked a lot about motherhood and writing and, and this idea that um, it it was it was more than just mommy blogging. I know that was I know that's a big um, I know it's a big phrase right now. But we felt yeah. like um, there's so much there's so much there to motherhood, and um, there's so much there. I felt more creative after becoming a mother, and more urgency to write after becoming a mother than I did beforehand. And I actually ended up writing more. I always said, "Oh yeah, I'm going to write." a little bit here and there. And I never did, but once I had Hadley and Harper, it, it's just, I, I had to do it. It was something that I just had to do. Hmm. Um, so can you talk more about that? Like you have this compulsion, but this compulsion yeah. seems to have increased. I don't know if compulsion is the right word, but it sounds like mm-hmm. it. But so after you have the, the girls and you enter that phase of your life, this compulsion mm-hmm. in, increased, it became more profound. Yeah, absolutely. What, I, where do you think that was? I think... I think it was me trying to to figure figure things out. I, I remember um, I remember when Had- I was trying to get Hadley down for a nap. She was like four or five months old, and you know that was just a a baffling task for me. Is <laughs> get these kids to sleep. I, I understand this this problem. Oh my goodness! And it you know I I was so tired of this defining my day. <laughs> I thought, oh gosh, this is just terrible. But yeah. um, I did have a I did have a blog. For um, at set up and 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 I remember putting her in the crib and she was crying. I remember the pediatrician just said, "You know, let her, let her see what happened. You know, try try five minutes, try then try seven minutes, and then try nine minutes and see you know see if you can you know let her cry it out for a little bit. Something that just sounded horrifying to me. <laughs> but I I wrote while Hadley cried, and even though it was for five minutes, I remember thinking um, there's something more than just this conflict. I could get the conflict down, but there was also some, there was something um, fun, maybe not fun, but joyful in articulating what was going on in my day and feeling like they're just, I could create from anything. I could create from, from the pain and the, (laughs) the, this was, the motherhood was a lot like being in a suspense movie. You know, you're like, I'm not sure what's going to happen next. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was, there was something wonderful about that. Um, hmm. And, and it made me, it made me feel like I could put one foot in front of the other. Hmm. 
Hmm. And it's the same. It's the same now. I don't only write about my children, uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I also find that I can explore memories from my childhood and make sense of those because of Hadley and Harper. And so, you know, if something happens to Harper in fourth grade, I can go back and think, okay, you know, this is, this is how I handled it, or this is how my mom happened to handled it. And there's a story for that. And um, so I think that's where the urgency came from. Hmm. Um, and, and just seeing, just seeing them create, seeing them play around with stuff is, is very inspiring as well. Makes me feel like, like I can create too. And I think that's a big part of um, my, I don't know if manifesto is the right word, but uh, I, I do believe in God and I believe that um, we are made in his image. And since he is a creator, I think it's important that, that we find ways to create too. I think that's part of being in communion with him. And um, so writing is certainly um, a witness. I don't really know if that's what my writing is, but I, I know that God is with me when I am writing. And so I'm offering it up to him and to others. The activity itself is kind of a mm-hmm. witness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so do your girls, are your girls bookish, so to speak? I say, they I are. Not insultingly. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's they, a compliment. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, uh, yes, they, they read, um, Hadley does have a phone now, which is the bane of my existence. <laughs> How old is she? <laughs> She's 12 okay. going on 17. Uh, but she, uh, she, that was, that was the thing in middle school. And, um, yep. and so I'm, I'm doing my best to not be horrified by it, but, um, <laughs> she doesn't, you know, we, we're, we're pretty strict about, um, you know, her usage of it. It all, it all goes away at a certain time and is those phones are locked away and she she reads before bed and she reads in the morning and um she's always reading so that's nice um we're in a mother-daughter book club which is i love um we're reading all kinds of great stories and talking about them and that's that's been really helpful um, so how, how, does that, how does that work out so you have like just a group of mothers and their daughters and how, how yeah yeah it's uh six six and seven actually it's it's seventh grade um seventh grade girls Hadley's in sixth grade but the a neighbor of mine asked me once if I wanted to join and I said absolutely <laughs> and so um they picked a bunch of books at the beginning of the year and then once a month we rotate houses and um the the, the who's ever hosting is the one who sort of facilitates the discussion and there's all sorts of creative ways they write a bunch of questions and and pick them out of a cup and we read from them and and the girls answer and um you know they're not comprehension questions they're you know what you know how do you relate to these these books and and things like that so it's it's fun it's fun to hear from the girls um and it's fun to hear from the moms we can all uh, relate. It's a great way to relate to each other. So, mm-hmm. so that's very helpful. Yeah, um, books. Books have a way of kind of like washing away differences sometimes. Yeah, and and also, and this is what I found in in teaching is it's really it's a lot easier to talk about a character than yourself. And so, if this mm-hmm. character is going through something, and somebody happens to say, "Oh, I get that," uh, it's just it's 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 nice to be able to, to walk yourself alongside of that character without saying I'm going through this. It, it just, it, it allows for a lot of conversation and I'm thankful for that. <laughs> what kind of books do you do in that? Let's see. We've read, um, my, my name, a girl named Eva. I think it's EVA. I'm not sure if it's Eva or Eva. Um, that was a historical fiction about, um, world war two and a town that was raised by, Hitler and um, families were separated and this child along with a couple others because she looked the way they wanted the next race to look um, got put into another family and uh, a German family and uh, was separated from her family and it was um, it was based on a lot of uh, it was based on history and a lot of facts this 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 author um, went to the town I think it was in Czechoslovakia uh, Hmm. So we read, we read that book. That was, that was a hard, that was a hard one to get through, but hmm. um, allowed for great discussion because the girl was 12, 13 years old, I believe. And, um, you know, hmm. a lot of the girls could, could relate to identity and, and they couldn't believe that anything like this could happen. And so, you know, that was another way, a great way to, to discuss those things and what's going on in the world today. And, 
So we've read that book. We've read a book called Matched, which is a series, which is almost like The Giver, um, except, uh, well, I think their tagline, somebody who endorsed it said, it's like The Giver, giver except sexier. So there's a love triangle. <laughs> and it, uh, it's definitely, there. you know, you got to have that love triangle for a young adult, I think. <laughs> so there's that, but, but the premise is um, a grandfather who, who, who dies on a schedule. You know, I think he takes a pill just like in The Giver. They have a releasing ceremony. He, hold, he gives a poem to his granddaughter and he's not supposed to have that poem. The society has specific kinds of poetry and specific kinds of stories that you're allowed to hang on to. And this was not of it. And it was... Um, do not go gently into that good night. And mm. so she, she, and so the whole premise is, is you know, what, what do I do now that I have this poem? What does it mean to rage? Um, what, and, and so things have start happening from there. Uh, so that was a really good one. We've read um, a creative nonfiction one written by a journalist called the bus, the 57 bus. I don't know if you know about this one, but it's, so. uh, it happened in Los Angeles and, um, it, I, I'm not going to say the, the terminology right, but um, <laughs> some, uh, a person who d- didn't identify as either male or female um, got onto a bus and another boy got onto the same bus and lit this person's skirt on fire. And, and the person um, suffered major burns. Um, but the, it's the story of the person who didn't identify or doesn't identify as a male or female. And then this other boy who, um, had a pretty rough life as well. Um, and just their, what, what, how the events surrounded each of those, mm-hmm. how that affected this one event affected their lives. And so the, the journalist goes, um, so it's a true story. It's a true story, yeah. And and the journalist goes before, you know, she writes about before what happens before the event and after the event. This one was a really good story because, well, it got a lot of discussion because the, the group of girls were very invested in both stories. And I liked that because it, what, the, the person who didn't identify as neither male or female ended up, I think, going to Stanford and, and um, was a very um, successful student. The other person wasn't a successful student up to that point, uh, but then you looked at the family life and, and also the schools that he was in. And then um, he ended up going to a, I think it was a juvenile detention. Maybe it might've been jail. I can't remember exactly, but the girls were invested in both of these stories. And so mm-hmm. they were, they were, I thought that was really great that it wasn't like a good guy, bad guy kind of situation. They were concerned just as much as from the one person as the other person. And so that was, that was nice. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So I've kept you for quite a while, but <clears throat> I wanted okay. to, I wanted to go back just quickly before we leave to, to the yeah. diaries because, um, so it seems like a lot of what you've been describing here and, and how books have, you know, carried you along or been such an important part of your life that mm-hmm. becomes, you know, it seems like it, it certainly inspired, you know, what you're doing in this book and in this series of books. Mm-hmm. And so do you set out when you're teaching something like Romeo and Juliet or To Kill a Mockingbird or something? Mm-hmm. Do you set out, I mean, do you have it in your head that you want that same sort of thing to happen with your students? I mean, is that is that one of your primary goals that you want your students to make books a part of their lives the way you do? And so then it becomes sort of inspiring that becomes a key part of of the the curriculum the way you interact with the curriculum and the students or is it something where you just you, you mean you hope that that happens but if you can't there's nothing you can you feel like you can do to sort of push the students that way does that i mean it is i guess the question is do you think that there are ways of of um pushing is kind of maybe not the right word but sort of inspiring your students to have the same sort of relationships with books or is it just you know is it sort of a mysterious thing yeah, I I always my hope is always that they're going to interact with the book and that book will become a part of them in in some way. Um I think that's probably what drives um drives me to to 
to teach a story in the first place is that my hope is they will they will have a story to take with them and and that will help them in their in their lives no matter who they are no matter where they're from no matter what their academic history or future is going to be that they can always return to that story and a number a numerous amount of stories to um and and to live their lives by um and and so uh, that's the expectation that i have how i go about doing that um i'm not always sure <laughs> um i remember yeah. one year with um um to kill a mockingbird there's a scene in the story where you know something terrible is about to happen, probably where their uh, Jim Bob Ewell comes and tries to murder the kids. <laughs> yeah. um, and you can yeah. tell that that suspense is happening. And I had a group of kids one year that were just, they felt this passage and they wanted to write just like that. Um, and so we took, we annotated it. We said, you know, what is, what is making this scary? Because no, no, she never says this is going to be a scary part or I was afraid or anything like that. So we, uh, I was not planning on that. And, and so I said, all right, let's, let's try some scary paragraphs, but you can't use scary. You can't use blood. You can't use knife. You know, you gotta, you gotta make the reader feel afraid. And I was not planning on doing that, but you know, this class was wanted to do it. So I'm like, let's do it. So we turned the lights off because they love writing in the dark and that's what, <laughs> and that's what we did. And then we had a little writer's workshop reader's theater where they shared their work. And, um, these kids would never do that beforehand. So, uh, you know, I'm thankful for Harper Lee because she made them want to write scary stories. <laughs> I think that the thing about writers is you either need to be outside in pure natural light or it has to be super dark and moody. There's only, yeah. those are the only options for writers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't either or either. Or. I know I, I read um, I, Annie Dillard's book where she she talks about writing. She goes into her little cabin and takes a stone and just starts worrying it until she can her eyes adjust. And I'm like, gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> I pour myself a cup of coffee and, and sit there, but <laughs> I don't want to roll the stone. But yeah, everybody's got their own thing of, of why they do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for, for spending some time. I enjoyed the conversation. and um, Thank you for having me. This was fun. So you've got The Teacher Diaries and you've got Twirl. Where is the best place for people to go check those books out? Amazon, through the publisher, yeah, Amazon, what's the best? Amazon is the best place. If you're in uh, Calvin, they, I, know, I know the books at Calvin College. And I think it might be at Schuler's Books um, in Grand Rapids too. But uh, nice. Amazon is probably your best bet. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck with those books. And again, thank you for uh, thank you for taking the time. And where's is there? Where should people follow you? Follow you on Twitter, Facebook. What's the best thing? To do? Uh, Twitter. Uh, my blog is kellyfine.com, and I'm on Instagram too. So all the social media outlets. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Great. Well, again, thanks so much for taking the time and for uh, chatting chatting with me. Thank you. This was fun. Well, many thanks to Callie Fine for joining me in this episode of Libromania. Head over to CallieFine.com and that's C-A-L-L-I-E-F-E-Y-E-N.com to learn more about her work. And remember, The Teacher Diaries, Romeo and Juliet is available on Amazon.com now. Thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Close Reads Pods. If you like this episode in the show, please hit the review button in whatever app you're using to listen. It goes a long way in helping us spread the word, which of course means we can keep making more episodes like this one. For all of us here at the Close Reads Podcast Network, I'm David Kern. Thanks for listening. Happy reading, and we'll talk to you next week. Music.